Blessed are those called to the Supper of the Lamb. He's not just having a dinner party that we're invited to. The Supper of the Lamb refers to the marriage supper of the Lamb in the book of Revelation. 26 times in 22 chapters, Jesus is described as the Lamb, and heaven is described as this great marriage feast. Welcome to the wedding. You're not just the guest, but you're also the bride. Friends, welcome to the Slaking Thirst podcast, where you'll find the homilies, talks, and reflections of Father Ryan Mann and Father Patrick Schultz of the Diocese of Cleveland. Slaking Thirst is all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, which is also a divine heart, seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts will meet and both thirsts will be slaked. Thanks for joining us on the journey into Christ's desire for us. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and put this question to him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us, if someone's brother dies, leaving a wife but no child, his brother must take the wife and raise up descendants for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married a woman and died, leaving no descendants. So the second brother married her and died, leaving no descendants. And the third likewise. And the seven left no descendants. Last of all, the woman also died. At the resurrection, when they arise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had been married to her. Jesus said to them, Are you not misled because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they are like the angels in heaven. As for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God told him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly misled. The Gospel of the Lord. I think what Jesus says to the crowd here in the gospel is very uh, apropos of still many Christians today. When we think about um, heaven, and he says, you are greatly misled. This whole notion of uh, in heaven they neither marry nor are they given in marriage, but they are like the angels, I think has caused tremendous confusion for people throughout the ages, especially married folks. Um, this whole notion of until death do us part, does that mean that in heaven we won't be together, know each other, have any kind of intimacy with each other? Some people are kind of excited about that prospect. Others are kind of uh, saddened about that prospect. That's up to you and your marriage counselor, I suppose. But uh, the reality here is, I guess I want to just take a second and dive into this, because this is one of those very important uh, sections of the gospel that uh, my great hero, Pope John Paul II, um, just mind for all of its riches when he was teaching the world about his, uh, this theology of the body, this understanding of what it means to be human, that in order to really understand what it means to be human, you have to know where we come from and where we're going, right? And he always begins with the words of Christ, and this is the section, these words of Christ are the words with which he begins his reflections on 
the eschatological destiny of man. In other words, the final destiny of the human person. They neither marry nor are they given in marriage, for they are like the angels. So what does that mean? Well, to understand what that means, you have to go all the way back to Genesis when God made them male and female in the beginning and called the two to become one flesh. Why did God make us male and female in the beginning and call the two to become one flesh? In order to image the Trinitarian life on earth, right? God who is not this solitary singular being, but a communion of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this eternal exchange of life and love, in order for that invisible spiritual mystery to be made visible and physical, God didn't just make a man, he didn't just make a woman, he made a couple whose bodies and souls are complementary and ordered towards each other in reciprocal life-giving love. So much so that when the two become one flesh, they become so much one that nine months later you often have to give it a name, right? And they become three in one. So God made us... He made marriage in the beginning to be a sign of his Trinitarian life and love, but also to be a sign of the kind of relationship that he wants with us through Jesus, right? That the relationship that Jesus desires for us is not one of just simple, like, personal relationship. Personal relationships are great. That the relationship that Jesus wants, the least inadequate image that God could give us is like that of spouses. I want something like a spousal-type relationship with you. So spouses, on the day of your wedding, what you signed up for was, I pledge to be, as best as I can, an icon of Christ's love for you. The whole point of marriage is in the vows is those final words, until death do us part, or for all the days of our life. That marriage is about preparing one another for the final breath, that you're dancing with this other person all throughout life. Loving, forgiving, trusting, vulnerability, all of these things all throughout life. And together you are training each other's hearts for the life and the love of heaven so that when you breathe your last and you step out of this life, you simply are handing your spouse off to the dance of the Trinity. That's what the Trinity is. That's what the church fathers called it. This perichoresis is the word that the Greek fathers used. It means a dance. The Trinitarian persons are this dance of life and love. That earthly marriage is simply meant to be the preparation for the eternal marriage. Right? The earthly sign gives way to the heavenly thing that is signified by the sign. Just like there's going to be no Eucharist in heaven. Why? Because there's Jesus. There's no sacraments in heaven because the things that the sacraments signify, you are now in the reality, right? When you're driving down the road on a, on a road trip somewhere and there's a sign that says like 50 more miles until whatever town you're going to, you don't pull the car over on the side of the road and hug the sign and say, we're here, because that's stupid, because you're not there. The sign says, keep going, keep going. So in marriage, are you... Do we suddenly become these disembodied angels? No, we don't become angels. He says they are like angels. They are like angels, meaning that we are existing in this deeply interpersonal communion caught up in the intense glory of God. And will you know each other as spouses? Yes. In a way that your knowledge of each other in this life 
couldn't even come close. It couldn't even come close. And the wild thing is that the depth of intimacy that we'll have, uh, that you'll have with one another, we will have with everybody. That's what the communion of saints is. I think it was um, John Eldridge who said that the communion of saints is intimacy without promiscuity. You just chew on that for a while. Intimacy without promiscuity. That's what the communion of saints is. That's why we're neither marrying nor giving in marriage. What we're doing in this Mass, we are experiencing a foretaste of this union that is to come, right? Behold the Lamb of God. Behold Him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the Supper of the Lamb. He's not just having a dinner party that we're invited to. The Supper of the Lamb refers to the marriage supper of the Lamb in the book of Revelation. 26 times in 22 chapters, Jesus is described as the Lamb, and heaven is described as this great marriage feast. Welcome to the wedding. You're not just the guest, but you're also the bride. How awesome is that? Amen.